that you'll you will laugh again. I have a lot of things I would say, but and just to give it a little time, I feel like that I could say that every day to the ones I see daily. You know, it's like I know you feel like crap right now, but just a little bit more time, even tomorrow, but especially two months from now, and even two years. You know, it's like everything takes time, and I know that we hate waiting, but it's worth it. It's time for the Share Recovery Podcast, where we bring you amazing life-changing success stories from addicts and alcoholics all over the world who share their inspiring journey in recovery. And now, here's your host, Oh. On today's episode of the Share Podcast, we have Stephanie Schilling joining us. Now, Stephanie has become a good friend of mine since the interview. She asked me, oh, how can I get more involved in recovery? And she was already heavily involved in recovery because she's been a blogger, writing articles and being featured on Sober Nation, The Real Edition, The Elephant Journal, and her own blog called Radiant Perspective. So on top of all of her writing, she wanted to do something more interactive, similar to what I'm doing on the podcast so I asked her to join Michael Hilton and I on the Blab meetings that we just recently started, and she jumped right in, and we had such a great time on the first meeting that the three of us now host the Blab meeting every other Sunday, Sobriety, Recovery, and Beyond together, which has turned out to be a lot of fun and just another very beneficial tool for the newcomer. So let's dive right into Stephanie's story, but first, a little share podcast news. First, I'm going to plug Sober Senorita. Actually, it's pronounced Sober Senorita. I'll bring out my Latino flavor. The Adventures of Sober Senorita. And the Share podcast was featured on one of her articles. She wrote on uh, January 8th, My Favorite Addiction Recovery Podcast, according to the Sober Senorita. Happy 2016, everybody. Blogs are fun to read, but there's also another great way to get information. Read a book, or in this case, get recovery inspiration, and that's by listening to podcasts. So from the top, the first one she has listed is from Chris, Jeff, and Matt, which make up the Since Right Now Recovery Podcast, and it's one of the ones she listens to the most. They drop an episode every Wednesday. Then the second one listed is the After Party Pod. If you love everything After Party, like I do, you'll love Anna David's podcast even more. I recently heard one of Anna's episodes because she was interviewing Sarah Heppola, and as you know, she's one of my dream guests. It was a fantastic interview. Well done, Anna. Number three, the Share Podcast. If you've listened to Omar's voice, you have to agree with me when I say that it's literally made for podcast or radio. She is the bomb. Thank you for the plug, Sober Senorita. And followed by the Share Podcast is the Bad Story Pod with Laura Silverman. And Laura was also a guest on the Share Podcast, for those of you that remember. She was episode 44. Laura is a good friend of the Sober Senorita. She's also the founder of the Sobriety Collective and has started this amazing Bad Story Podcast. So make sure to check it out. The next podcast on the list is called The Bubble Hour. Now, many of you are going to recognize this because this one has been around for a while. And the Sober Senorita writes, I just began listening to The Bubble Hour recently, but it's been around for a while. The Bubble Hour is made up of four women in recovery, L.E.S., Amanda F., Catherine M., and Jean M., it's a spectacular podcast, and those ladies are dedicated to breaking the stigma of addiction and the denial surrounding the disease of alcoholism. Make sure to check this one out. And finally, the home podcast. You may know Laura of I Fly at Night and Holly of Hip Sobriety, also wonderful sober sisters of the Sober Senorita. And I heard Sarah Heppola on the home podcast as well. So I'm Definitely, definitely going to reach out to Sarah. I'd love to have her on the Share podcast. Both interviews, both on the Home podcast and the After Party pod were awesome. So again, the Home podcast, Laura and Holly have created a safe place for sober women and what better name to call it than home. Kelly, again, thank you so much for featuring the Share podcast on your website. For those of you who would like to see this article, 
Go to SoberSenorita.com. There is no NA on the N, and it's called My Favorite Addiction Recovery Podcasts. If you can't find the Sober Senorita, just email me, o at thesharepodcast.com, and I will make sure to email you the direct link to this article. Keep up the good work, Kelly. This list couldn't have come at a better time, especially since on the Facebook group, I had Jane post, oh, the disappointment when you realize you have blasted through all the share podcast. Thank you, Omar Pinto. I'll just sober guy and elevate it up until next week. She's obviously referring to the That Sober Guy podcast and the Recovery Elevator. And following that, we had Linda write, I've done the same and started listening to some twice. Steve writes, me too. I'm caught up now and can't wait for next week's podcast. So now, starting from the top, first, it's Sober Podcasts, brought to you by Sober Nation, that features The Recovery Elevator, That Sober Guy Podcast, WWA, Wrestling with Addiction, and of course, The Share Podcasts, and Kelly's List, The Sober Senorita, The Since Right Now Podcast, The After Party Pod, The Share Podcast, of course, The Bad Story Podcast, The Bubble Hour, and home podcast. That's a total of nine recovery podcasts that you can be listening to throughout the week. HP, baby. So for those of you that want to show your support, please go to iTunes, rate and review. Leave us a five-star rating and review. It's the best way for us to rank on iTunes and for more people to find the Share Podcast. If you'd like to donate, go to the website, the Share Podcast, top right corner. There's a donate button. Also, if you scroll down on the right side of the webpage, you will see a big yellow donate button. Uh, You can donate using PayPal. And right underneath the yellow donate button, you will see an Amazon button. If you are going to buy something on Amazon, click on that link first. And what that will do is that will help support the Share Podcast as well. It's not going to cost you a penny. You're going to buy stuff on Amazon anyway. But if you click on that Amazon banner first, whatever you buy kicks a little bit back to the Share Podcast and will keep the Share Podcast thriving. So those are the ways you can show your support to the Share Podcast. So now a quick word from our sponsor, and then we're going to jump into Stephanie's story. Sober Nation is the largest online recovery community and treatment resource center. They provide treatment resources to those struggling with addiction, as well as to the family members who are caught in the crossfire. On top of that, Sober Nation is a huge community of good people who share their experience with each other. They have informative content, recovery, and addiction news, as well as an entire clothing line, which helps expand the culture of recovery. They can easily be found at www.SoberNation.com. Sober Nation is putting recovery on the map. And finally, would you like to receive the most popular AA daily devotions free in one distribution? Transitions Daily delivers daily devotions from the 24 hours a day, AA thought for the day, daily reflections, Big Book Quote, Just for Today, As Bill Sees It, plus more. You can get this distribution daily via email, private Facebook group, or Twitter. Simply go to dailyaaemails.com for more information. And don't forget to share dailyaaemails.com with friends, in meetings, and with sponsees in recovery. Now back to the show. Hey, Stephanie. Thanks for joining us. Hello. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you on the show today. How are you feeling? Awesome. Very excited and a little bit nervous, but I'm doing great. All right. I love it. So let's get started. Folks, today we have Stephanie Schilling joining us on the Share Podcast, who, as a matter of fact, today, November 24th, had her first article posted on the Elephant Journal, correct? Yes. That was so exciting. That was just, I was like, that's one of those God things that happened because I was doing this with you tonight and I got the email around lunch that they were going to go ahead and publish it. So that was very exciting. Yeah, I saw that on Facebook. I go, look at you. Got it published on the day we're doing the interview. So I thought that's definitely a God shot right there. Definitely. So Stephanie, (laughs) tell us a little bit about how your life is today, your hobbies, exercise routine. Take us into your normal daily routine including recovery, and tell us a little bit about Stop Drowning and Reach Out for Help. Okay. I guess I'd say on my daily routine, I like to thank God before I even get out of bed. 
I'm not going to say I do that perfectly every day, but that's definitely one of my goals to read my daily reflections. I usually read the same one from either Hazelden or just out of the daily reflections and do my morning prayers. I have to have my coffee. And then hobbies. I used to be really super good at dedication to my running. And so I have to admit that I've slacked on that. And then meetings throughout the week. I don't go every day like I did when I first got into recovery, first got out of treatment. But that is my maintenance that keeps me on track and with a healthy mind and positive attitude. I know when I haven't been to a meeting, you know, in a couple of days, I get a little squirrely. Yep. I'm already squirrely. But <laughs> and then talking to my sponsor, we miss each other a lot, but we talk every week. So it's like we play phone tag. Maybe I might call her on Monday and talk to her on Wednesday. We don't have a set, set day that we talk, but we do keep in touch. And I did have a sponsee, but if she's listening out there, she dropped me a while back. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know. I hope she's still sober, but I think she is. I don't have another sponsee right now, but I feel like that's one thing I need to do, too, is go to more meetings with newcomers because it's just good to you know, to be around newcomers a lot. But what's awesome is that my work around newcomers daily, because that's where I work at a treatment center. So technically not even a newcomer yet, but um, <laughs> so I work in the admissions and financial part of the treatment center. And I get to see that every day. I get to see those same, you know, fearful looks that are like, I don't know if I want to do this or not. And I, I get to send them out the door with a golden nugget, like a daily Nugget, I feel like daily, it's just something that I can be grateful for to see those people coming right. in and changing their lives. So. Yeah, of course. And of course, it's a reminder, a constant reminder of what's waiting for us if we decide to, you know, lose our vigilance and go back out. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, you never know either like what I know for me, I was not just willing to go. I wasn't ready to go, I didn't think. And I wanted that last New Year's to be out partying and the lady that's in the same position that I am right now, which is weird. I didn't even think about that. This is my third week there. And it hit me like last week that that's exactly what her title is, is what I'm doing now. And so it's like, wow, because I remember saying to her, well, I, can I just go after New Year's? And she was like, well, do you want to be dead or um, <laughs> on the side of the road or, you know, before that? You, you don't even know. So I did decide to go. So it's kind of like if I have that opportunity to tell somebody, no, don't wait till after Thanksgiving or maybe go home and think about it, then I feel like I'm at least giving back what was so freely given to me. So I love it. That's absolutely fantastic. And on that same topic, Stephanie, how do you maintain your spiritual condition, that conscious contact with the higher power? Um, I try to, of course, like I said, start my day with thanking God, but also with Him just taking control. Because if I don't open up my day with acknowledging Him first, then it can be a crazy day. I do know from experience that that happens to me. I mean, I don't make it a habit for sure, but I can say that it has happened. And it's like, it feels like my day just is chaotic. And then when I try to reflect back on what I did, like if I do my 10th step at night and I see what did I not do that day, it's usually that I didn't start my day with prayer and meditation but throughout the day, I mean, even in the shower or in the car, like I try to constantly maintain that contact, the conscious contact with God. I talk to him in my head. I talk to him out loud. <laughs> so if I had like family around, I mean, it's just me. But if I had people around me, there's probably times where they're like, she's crazy. But I enjoy knowing that I'm not in control. I know that sounds kind of crazy, but I'm not. And so I do definitely, if I feel like I'm in fear or, you know, just scared about something. I try to say the fear prayer. I try to just say the serenity prayer. Even there's been times where at my previous job, I would take a bathroom break just to kind of get away and say a prayer or two. You know, I've been just, there. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you have to. Yeah, I've been there. Absolutely. I've gone to the bathroom, you know, closed the stall door, gotten on my knees all right. And just um, there's been those moments. There's been those moments where I've just needed to connect with my higher power 
And my only thought was, you know what? I'm just, I'm going to go to the bathroom. I'm just going to do this and get on there because I got to get on my knees right now. Usually when I do that is when I'm the most connected. I feel the most, I guess it's a humbling experience that, you know, you know what you're doing when you're on your knees. <laughs> there is a mm-hmm. conscious awareness that you're doing something very different than just like, okay, God, hey, I'm here. But yeah, it's always been in those moments where I've just really, really needed them. So trust me, you're not crazy. I do that. I talk to him in the shower or I'm in the car and it's a consciousness. You know that he's there and it's nice to know that you can reach out. So I totally get it. Yeah. I was thinking about how to begin with, I remember asking my sponsor, I think it was my first sponsor that I asked because I actually started a different program at first and that didn't work out, but I was talking to her about praying and I'm sure I asked my sponsor, I have now the same question, but I mean, sometimes I still ask her, well, how should I pray for that or about that? And I really can overcomplicate anything. I really can anything. But as far as the praying goes to begin with, I didn't start out just praying on my knees. I just, I don't know why I didn't, but then as time has gone on, I have, and I don't always, but I do know that when I do, it is like, it's a humbling experience and it separates me from like, say if it's summertime and I'm outside on my rocking chair and I'm closing my eyes praying, I feel like I just do it so quickly maybe sometimes. And it's just like running through it. Whereas if I'm on my knees praying for, I feel like it's one of those things that not only is it humbling, but I mean, I'm at my, what do they say? Like you're at your lowest point or, you know, you're I was trying There's to come up, I know, I was trying to come up with the right words for it. And I guess that's why I said it was a humbling experience because there's a, I'm trying to come up with the words. I know what you're talking about where you're at your, I guess when you're on your knees, there's that conscious awareness that what I am doing right now is I am praying. This is what I'm doing. I'm not doing anything else. And if I'm standing or sitting or driving or in the shower, I'm doing something else. Right. But if I'm on my knees, then it's just this conscious recognition that I am I am seriously praying to my higher power. I guess that's that, that's the best I can come up with. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we know what we're trying to say. Yeah, yeah. I th- trust me, other people are like, I get it. I get it. Move on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you said something about a fear prayer? Yes. What's the fear prayer? God, I pray that you please remove my fears and direct my thoughts as you'd have them be. Amen. Which is beautiful. The question was, is that a recovery prayer or does that come from something other than a 12-step fellowship? No, I think it's an AA prayer. Yeah. Um, We've never gone over it in the big book, so I was just wondering. Oh, well, maybe I just, I guess that's where I got I mean, I know that I got it from my AA sponsor, not anything else, so... Well, they do, I don't know where we got that. Well, they certainly do pass on wonderful, wonderful things to us, don't they? Yes. Okay, well, good. Well, tell us uh, real quick, Stephanie, how much clean time do you have and when is your anniversary date? I am working on four years. Um, my anniversary date is December 31st, 2011. Oh, we're coming up on it. Yeah. So that's you know, kinda, New Year's Eve. Yeah, I was just about to say. <laughs> it just looks like I'm getting to a meeting before the first. <laughs> yeah. I mean. Oh, well, yeah, once we get into your story, I wanted you to tell us about, you know, what prompted that one. So I'm sure you'll, we'll get into your bottom there. So how old were you the first time you drank or used drugs? And more importantly, how did they make you feel? I remember my first drink being around 15 years old. And I, I sometimes I feel like my cousin thinks it's like his fault or something. But it's totally not. But I was on his senior trip with him and a bunch of his friends. And that was the first drink I remember taking. And I remember like loving the way it made me feel. And I, even in that article I, on Elephant Journal, I referred to it as like liquid courage. It was like it gave me a feeling of, oh, I could do anything, you know, and Oh, I was cool. Like, and I didn't have those fears and anxieties or wondered, worried about what anybody thought about me. And so it just kind of like a energizing type feel for me. But, and then as far as like drugs, I mean, I was prescribed Klonopin, but that's never what I hear people say, well, I'm prescribed this or that. But, you know, it starts out as a prescription and then ends up as abuse. Yeah. 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 How old were you at the time? So I think then my memory for that is kind of 
blurry, but I want to say it was just right after it was like 16, 17. And I, my family physician had given me that prescription. And as the years went on, it just kept getting increased and I kept taking it more. And then I, if I didn't have it, I would try to find it elsewhere. And that's just an alcohol, a form of alcohol and a pill is all it is. So, right. Right. Now, well, how old, and again, how old were you the first time you had that first drink? 15. So oh, okay. not, it's like ninth grade summer. All right. All right. Well, I think you're all warmed up, Stephanie. It's time for me to turn this show over to you. It's time for you to share your story, the battle against drugs and alcohol, the wreckage it caused in your life, when you hit rock bottom, and finally your journey into recovery up until today. So, Stephanie, take it away. Okay. I always started out, my name is Stephanie and I'm an alcoholic. But, hey, Stephanie. Um, <laughs> I, I guess I'd start with I was raised uh, in a loving family. Um, both of my parents have always been there for me. I'm an only child, but I grew up with around my two cousins that were always like brother and sister to me. And both my parents have always been there for me and, you know, love me no matter what. So even through the hard times, so I definitely have the most respect and love for them. And I remember... I recently was trying to put my story together just in my mind and on paper and thoughts. And I tried to remember my first memory of, of anything in life. And it came to me that, I mean, because I've always remember being like three years old and with my little dog and cat. And like, that's the first memory I have. And I can, I don't know whether this is a real memory or not, but I've always remembered being in the living room when my parents were arguing or what I recollect of it was like an argument at one point. And that was the night that we left. My mom and I left, and she's like, we've got to go. So I feel like that's like the first fear memory I have. And then I have a lot of memories, of course, like with my grandparents and then my handful of aunts and uncles and my mamma and then my grandmother. I used to like shell peas with her, and I would go hide from her. I thought it was funny and fun, but she always knew where I was, but... I was always next door at my great grandfather's house and trying, you know, messing around in his garden or whatever. So and I was that kid that ran around with, with no shoes on all the time and, <laughs> and you couldn't keep me indoors. And then I guess really, and as far as growing up, I lived with my mom half the time because they got divorced the year I was three, three or four. And mom and I lived in an apartment not too far from my dad. And then it was just every other weekend I would see him. And then... I feel like the first time I remember not being accepted or thinking that I wasn't accepted, you know, because it's all this delusional thoughts. But it's crazy to think that it happened all the way back in the fourth or fifth grade. But I feel like that's when my memory of that was. And I moved in with my dad then. My mom had moved to Huntsville. And so I decided to live with him because I had a best friend that lived in the neighborhood. And, you know, I knew some people in that town. So I chose to live with him. But it was just like immediately... I was so shy and I'm still shy. Like I know it doesn't sound like it, but I still have those <laughs> shy moments. I think that it was just, that was like the first real big memory of like fear of the unknown, fear of failure, fear of change and not being accepted. And then I guess I'll go ahead and share this. I haven't told anybody this like in public, I don't think, but I had this thing called alopecia. Have you ever heard of that? No. Where you have like bald patches in your hair. Really? Yeah. It's a condition that I don't have it now. I mean, but I think it's really caused by stress. Like the doctors, yes. they don't have that much of a reason behind why it happens other than that. So that was on top of it too. And I would try to like hide with like putting my hair in a ponytail or whatever. I felt like such an outcast on top of being an outcast that I already felt before that all happened. But that eventually got better. And then, of course, that there's always other reasons that I feel like I don't fit in or whatever. So then it's like I go to the extreme to fit in that after that ninth grade summer or around that time, like eighth, ninth grade. Then that's when I went to the beach, hanging out with the older crowd by then. And it started out like partying, whatever, on the weekends. But I do remember that trip. I got drunk like on jello shots and vodka and all kinds of stuff. I was just plastered and I loved it. But I remember finding out my boyfriend cheated on me while I was there and I was all sad and gave me a reason to drink Carter. So that's like the first time I remember thinking, like now reflecting back on it, how that's like the first time I covered it up, you know, and even coming back home, I remember I still would like 
on the weekends, we would go hang out and drink kegs of beer and hayfields and just like live it up out there. But mm-hmm. it was like <laughs> easily entertained. And then I even got sent home from work by my boss. I worked at a retail store. I was living on my own then because I moved out when I was 17. I'm probably bouncing around a lot, but I moved out when I was 17 after school because I graduated at that age. And I was going to school and working full time. And that same lady that sent me home, because I had gone to a college town and like stayed up all night partying and thought the next day. I mean, I was small. I'm still kind of small. I mean, I could drink. Unfortunately, I could drink a lot. And then the next day, I still smelled like a bottle of whatever it was, you know. So she sent me home. She asked me if I'd been drinking that day. And I was like, no. And so I'll go home. And I, I remember thinking, I wonder if I do have a, a problem, like, because I do drink a lot. And, but that didn't, you know, didn't stick then. And I just kind of like brushed it off. What I was going to say about her is she's the same person that sent me home. But she's also um, on my resume as a reference like she's the best thing that's ever happened to me she's awesome and I wish I would have had her around more a little like a couple years later because she probably would have kicked my ass or my butt whatever (laughs) sorry but we still try to keep in contact like on Facebook and she's awesome and then I started taking I don't know if I can say that I guess I started taking opiates to get me through hangovers like Mm -hmm. around that same year and I got my first DUI at the age of 20 and I remember we'd gone out, several uh, friends of mine and I, and I, it was a spring break weekend or week. It was like during spring break anyway. And I mean, I wasn't in school, but I might've been in college, but still I wasn't like in school in high school. I didn't need to be out celebrating spring break, but believe me, anytime I could get a chance to justify my partying, then I would. So it was like, oh, spring break, let's go downtown and let me drive. Let me be the smart one. My car ended up with them and them driving it home anyways, and I was in jail. And I was supposed to play golf with my dad the next day. And one of the guys that was with us had covered up for me and said I was sick. Well, now my dad knows everything. And during my amends, my night step process, I told them everything. Like, they know everything now. Right. Um, so that's really good and freeing. But um, So you were taking opiates on top of the alcohol, and this is in high school or in college? Well, at this point, it was right after high school. So that was, it started in college, but then it got more, the opiate part was more in like my twenties. Okay. But I had tried it, you know, after like feeling bad, the real name of it. Yeah. Lortab. And I think there was that Oxycontin before, mostly like a Lortab type pill though. And Percocet, it's like, Oh, the hangover is gone. Let me just get through this day and everything's all fine. And then let me just do it again. It was that cycle of insanity. Right. I even have gone through a suboxone clinic. At one point I tried that, you know, and I don't think I've put that on paper anywhere. I don't know why, but it's just another one of those things. That's like, if I'm going to be out there, I'd rather be all out there and let everybody know that it doesn't matter like what it is. If it's any form drug, you know, whether it's an opiate or a, barbiturate or, you know, or alcohol. I mean, it can, any and all can be abused. And as an addict or an alcoholic, we can find a way to abuse the hell out of anything. I mean. Absolutely. So school, at that point, school and work have really become less interesting. And then that sparked my interest in other areas. And I met a guy, this is in my twenties, early twenties. And really this I have a hard time trying to remember like the exact timeline of things, but that was one thing we had to do in treatment and in our intensive outpatient as well as like do a timeline. So we kind of know where everything kind of went chaotic. Right. I want to say it was early twenties and I was working part-time still going to school part-time and I was just like barely hanging on in school. And it's just cause I just was too worried about, you know, getting drunk or high or whatever and so but this guy that I met I didn't know he had a problem at the time but now I know and I mean he would say the same probably I have no idea I haven't talked to him and I won't but it was one of those things like he told me his issues I told him mine and we had this big old pity party all the time together (laughs) and then it was just like an easy way to drink and justify the drinking because somebody else was doing it with me you know and I mean, it was like a daily thing and it became, it started out with like Jägermeister and turned into like a couple shots to be in the bottle to then 
I soon like I, I was engaged to him and lived with him. And I was starting my student teaching and in the middle of my student teaching, I think I was really actually almost finished with my student teaching and I just didn't go. I never showed back up and he was not okay with everything I did, but he would pretty much just co-sign my bullshit. And like, that's one thing that even with friends today that I have, like, I'm not going to co-sign your bullshit. If you're slacking on whatever, I'm probably going to call you out on it. Or I probably am not going to stick around by your side for long. Like, you know, I just know that that didn't get me far in life. So I don't want to be that person that does that. So we were engaged only for six months, but my dad and my mom, my dad tried to tell me, I shut them out. I didn't give them that much chance, but not long into it, I quit talking to my family, all my friends. I still talked to a couple of the friends I had back then that weren't like such party animals that I couldn't, you know, I mean, they actually have, have families now and have kids and they don't go out and get drunk or high on anything and everything. I mean, they straightened up, but at the time, like I shut everybody out. I quit my job, quit the student teaching gig. And then I really thought that the only way to face reality was in all these emotional and physical outbursts that he had. I mean, he was a very angry man, hated his family. He isolated from everybody. There was only a couple people that he hung around that would co-sign his bullshit and do the same thing with him. And, you know, it was like, so the only way I thought I could escape all that was to drink and swallow a pill. And it just became like this vicious cycle of like, well, what do you have that I can have? And then be the same for me. Like, and then we started hiding things from each other. And I left him a couple times and I always would go back. Like I'd move back home with my dad and then I'd go back to him. And when I did, they didn't know if I was dead, alive, what? I mean, they just didn't know. Right. 2011, Memorial Day weekend of 2011, I had gone back over there to his, he's at an apartment at this point. And I just was like, get, I mean, I don't know. It was like, I don't even know what my motives were. I know though that it was just a drink because I couldn't put up with him without drinking. So that weekend though, I got so hammered that I don't even know that probably was the first time I remember like a blackout. And, um, cause I never got sick. Unfortunately, I never would throw up or anything. I mean, I think maybe then I would have stopped, but I did not hate it throwing up. I hated getting sick. So I just, I never did. And it's probably just because I would drink so much during the day. It was like, I have no idea how I didn't, but I blacked out some that weekend. And I remember I was drinking at that point, the Jägermeister was too expensive. So I was on the cheap shit, like (laughs) aristocrat, you know, it was like, give me the vodka. And I don't even know what that is. (laughs) Oh God. It's like $5. for Yeah. It's terrible. Yeah. And not that any of it is good, but, you know, it's like the cheapest you can get. And that weekend, I thought I was going to have, I thought I was having like food poisoning or something. And I didn't know what it was. And at this point, I was, I guess, down to like, I mean, I probably weigh like 115 now. I don't even know. I don't weigh myself. I don't care. But at that point, I weighed 88 pounds. and didn't oh. even know I looked sick. Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah. And I mean... The photos that my mom's got them on her old cell phone. We've been talking about trying to find them again, but she sent them to me a gajillion times and I kept deleting them accidentally or whatever happened. But yeah, in the, so I ended up in the hospital though with pancreatitis. I was admitted one night and he took me, but he wouldn't take me for like two days, but I also wouldn't go because I didn't have the insurance. And I didn't want my parents to know. I definitely didn't want them to know he took me. And then so I'm not sure. I think I was probably telling them I was at a friend's house or something. I mean, I lied all the time. Right. And now if I lie, like if I even try to say what you would call a little white lie, like I don't, I can't lie anymore, which is a good thing. <laughs> That's a very good thing. Yeah, but for sure. It, it's just funny to think about how things change. But so anyway, he drops me off at the ER after waiting, you know, two days to take me. And then I didn't ever see him again. My mom told me that he did come by one time, but I didn't see him again in there. And I mean, I was lifeless. I was 27, I guess, at the time. I'm 32 now. So yeah, they, I was diagnosed with dehydration, um, urinary tract infection, pancreatitis. And they even had talked about sending me to UAB for a liver and I guess liver transplant possibility of having to have one. But my enzyme levels started to come down. I didn't smile. I mean, I forgot what it was like to smile. And then I had a nurse in there that asked me then, how did I pray? So going back to that, how do you pray? And I'm like, hey, what the hell are you talking about? Like, (laughs) 
I don't even know what you're talking about, and I don't know why you're asking me this. But now, because, see, I couldn't sleep in there. I could not sleep in there. And at that time when I was admitted there, I was on Suboxone trying to stop taking opiates. So my body, I guess, was detoxing off all this stuff. It was almost shutting down, and I had no idea. And she talked to me that night, and she's an angel. She really is, and I've since had lunch with her, and it's been a couple years, but you know, she put it into reality and she knew the guy that I was living with, but of course he wasn't on her favorite list or anything. But so she was just kind of like, you know, God hears us. And I can't remember exactly word for word what she said, but she opened my eyes to the fact that it's not me in control and that there is a God. And, you know, and it's not that I wasn't raised. No, I mean, I always knew there was a God, but it's, I just wasn't a religious person. I never have been like religious and my parents I always knew there was a guy, but we weren't like consistently church going people. And now, I mean, I go to church with my dad some, and then I also go to a church that's local here. It's kind of just like a non-denominational church. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so back to the hospital thing. After I got out of the hospital, after those 11 days and the doctor sat there and said, you know, you could die if you drink again. I went back out and tried it again after about six months after I, I moved back in with my mom and stepdad and. I didn't go to any meetings or anything like that. I don't think I even knew about AA then, but I don't know that I would have been willing to go anyway. So I didn't drink for those six months, but I was still like, I was just like isolating myself and I was trying to do it on my own. You know, it was like, I was trying to find this new group of friends that weren't out there because I didn't go anywhere to find them that were positive, like in any kind of meeting or anything like that. Or I don't think I even trusted myself to do anything. But then, oh, well, what started my drinking again from there? The craziest thing, my mom and I went to the beach for my birthday that year, and she wasn't even around. But I knew that, I mean, I just, I wanted to drink. Like, I was beach, drink, beach, drink. You know, it was like anything I did, I had to drink. So, but I thought I would be okay. But she went to go take a shower, and I lied then, told her I was going to go charge my phone and end up at the bar taking shots of Jägermeister and the Jägermeister wasn't even on the counter. The dude had it in the freezer and I like asked for it and he happened to have it. So he was my best friend by that time. And (laughs) (laughs) mom comes back downstairs with this look of disappointment. And then, yeah. So anyway, goes back to insanity after that. And then before I knew it, I was back in the emergency room with a total car. Uh, and that was when I told him my car, that was two weeks before I went to Bradford to the treatment center. And, um, I knew I needed help and I'd gone back to the same crazy guy that I was talking to before. So on December 30th, well, a couple days before December 30th, my mom actually showed up because I did start blacking out again and she showed up at my house. I had called her and don't even remember calling her. I blacked out and she showed up in front of me on the couch, passed out at my dad's house, like at lunchtime. Cause at that point I was drinking vodka in the mornings. I mean, I was drinking all day long and like half a pint by lunch and she was like, we're going to Bradford. And I was like, Bradford, are you crazy? No. So she was like, get your shoes on. We're going now. So I go and I talk to the lady, the same lady that's in the position that I'm in now. And I told her, she asked me all those questions. How much do you drink? How much do you take? And da, da, da. And that's when I said, well, how about I just wait until after New Year's? <laughs> and she's like, how about you're not going to be alive after New Year's, you know, so. But I couldn't be admitted to Bradford at that point, though, because I had been drinking all day. And you you can't just go in there. You can go in there drinking, but you you have to not be like totally smashed, trash, drunk. And I was. So I went home and I was told to think about it. And I thought about it and I actually looked online, looked at some treatment centers. I looked at Facebook and I Facebook messaged a friend of mine and asked him. I knew by his posts that he had gotten sober or gotten help somehow because he changed and I was like wow this is awesome so I asked him and I asked another girl another maybe even two girls about it and they were like you know it's the best thing they ever did so I ended up I actually remember being on my knees in my bedroom that night though and even though I was drunk I was like on my knees like god I really do need help this time instead of those like 911 prayers you know Mm -hmm. that you hear of yep I was like ready to give I was just like this is it's too hard of a struggle so and I wrote down because writing and music have always just helped me in life and 
even though, oh my gosh, my writing when I'm drunk or mad back then, oh wow, it's something crazy. It's some rambling. <laughs> I mean, so I wrote down a prayer and I don't even know. That's what's crazy to me is because I don't even know prayers off the top of my head. So I was obviously looking at it at something. And I wrote mom and Jim, which is my stepdad that passed away a few years ago. Mom and Jim think I might wreck my car and hurt myself or somebody else. Um, and then I put mom and dad are worried about me. And I mean, you could barely read my writing. But anyway, needless to say, and then I, I guess that night I would, you know, I messaged mom and said I was ready to go. I was going to do this. So the next day is when I went. And then that was on the 30th. So technically, I don't consider my sobriety date until that next full sober day on the 31st. I went to a halfway house after treatment, and then after that, I went to... Um, How long were you in treatment? I was in treatment for 15 days, I think. I didn't have insurance. It was like $19,800. I would have stayed there much longer, could I have. But while I was in there, I wasn't so keen on going to a halfway house until right at the end when I realized that if I go back home, I can't, you know, I don't know what to do. Right. So. So mom and I spent the night in the hotel one night and, you know, the night I got out and then I went to that halfway house for, I think it was like four months. And then I did um, intensive outpatient for a couple of those months. And then slowly, you know, like I got, they taught me how to live again and I got a car back. And I mean, the material things at that point were not like they were to me back then. Like my bride, let me go get a brand new Altima that I can't afford so that it can get repoed. Or so that I can total it, you know, and so it gave me a chance to start over and to be humble again and to let my pride and ego go, which was one thing definitely that kept me from trying to get treatment in the first place. So, you know, and then just going back to a lower paying job and just starting over. So and then I moved into an apartment. Well, I moved back home to mom's for like a couple months, but then I found a job in Birmingham at Brookwood. And so I moved into an apartment that weekend, started working there that next Monday and found a home group there in Hoover. But now I live in Gardendale. So in between that, I worked at UAB. Now I work at Bradford, that place that saved my life. So Wow. That's beautiful. Yeah. That is unbelievable. Awesome. Is that your story? Yes, that's it. <laughs> was that long how long did i talk no 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 it, trust me <laughs> trust me you know what whenever somebody starts with you know what how long is this going to take oh it takes about an hour well i i don't think i'm gonna be able to talk more than 20 minutes those are the ones that go about an hour and a half oh. <laughs> <laughs> i was like okay we'll see about that <laughs> I go, Steph, I love your story. It's absolutely beautiful. And thank you so much for sharing it with us. It's very touching and, and very moving. And the thing I like the most about it is that now you're working in the treatment center where you started your journey into recovery and you're helping others. That's what's so beautiful. Yeah. I mean, I've never been happier. I honestly can say that. And I was happy at my other job, but the money that I thought was going to buy me the happiness there, it didn't. So taking even a lesser pay or even if it was different crazy hours, I didn't care. Like I, my heart was really wanting to be there because I'd already thought about going and applying there one other time. And I just have never, it's like every day I just, I want to hug their little <laughs> hearts. Like I just want to take them home with me sometimes. <laughs> it's just very... I just, I have gratitude every day. I hope that never changes, you know, but there's just the same as I hope that my perspective on life and my appreciation for life doesn't ever change again. Cause there's always something to be grateful for. I feel like always. So it's actually, that's a very true statement. There is always something to be grateful for. And for many of us, the things that cause so much stress in our lives are what, what we like to call in recovery luxury problems. The problems mm -hmm. that we used to have were so exponentially worse. Our, we put our lives in danger. Our health was very poor. You know, talking about being in the hospital and being 88 pounds and on the brink of death. You know, basically, uh, people that don't consume the amounts of drugs and alcohol that we do aren't pickled enough to survive, you know, these kind of extreme conditions on our bodies. 
So it's, it's such a beautiful transition to watch the recovery process happen. And I get it too. Like what you were just saying about, you know, just wanting to hug them all and mm-hmm. hug their little hearts. It's so, when you see somebody new coming in, and this happens to me, uh, there's so many of them come in and I see a little glimmer of hope in their eyes a couple times. You know, you see them in the meetings and you see them kind of light up, you know, when somebody shares something that they can relate to. And you just can't help but hope, man, I, I hope this is their magic time. I really hope that they that they can make it, that they don't have to go back out. Exactly. And that's the thing is like, I don't just tell everybody starting out. Like I just now started doing the admissions this past week and I had the opportunity to do five back to back. And I was like, the first time I said to somebody that I was even in recovery, and, and it's not that I keep it, it's just I don't hide it or anything, but it's not something I just blurt out every time. But I know that God, it like punches me in the stomach almost. And he's like, this is your chance to say it. It's like it just came out. And I feel like if it comes out, it's supposed to. But this one time there, that first time there was hope after I said it, because he said the same thing I said to that lady that was trying to admit me that night when I said, well, how about let me wait till after um, New Year's? And he said, I'm going to wait till after Thanksgiving, which he probably is going to. But he's already called me two days in a row. And checked on the beds, bed availability, checked on, could he bring his ukulele? You know, he has kept <laughs> contact with me because I stopped at the door and told he and, him and his wife that story. And I told him how grateful I was for that place. When he called yesterday, he said, I just wanted to tell you, thank you, because you're one of the reasons that I have decided to come for sure. And he's bringing his ukulele. So, <laughs> and that just, I said, you made my entire year. You Aww. know, I mean, he really did. So. It's that uh, E-S-N-H, experience, strength, and hope. That's what we do. Yeah. That's all you did. You just gave them your experience, strength, and hope. Yeah, because if they see that somebody is functioning sober and has at least a little smile, if not my smile, I always smile and it's, I'm glad. I'm grateful for that today. But you know, you never know what that's going to do for somebody. And for him, he made the decision because I feel like if I saw somebody – the day I went in to talk to that lady that was smiling and laughing and was sober and had been almost dead a few months before that, then I probably would want to go too yeah. or have more of a chance to go, you know? There's what they call that, uh, well, we'll get into, I'm going to ask you a couple questions when we close up, which kind of goes into it. But what I've noticed is as far as the theme of gratitude is there's two types of service. There is the service to others, and there is self-service. And when you are of service to others and helping others, which is something I've recognized when I started doing the podcast, is that I can't remember the last time I didn't feel grateful. And I recognize that I'm doing so much service and helping others that I am so busy. I don't have time to get in the self-service line. Yeah. And that self-service line is insatiable. There is never enough money. There's never enough food. There's never enough of anything. It's more, 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 more. And we're trying to fill this empty vacuous hole with something that is not God. And Mm -hmm. when we help others, then, you know, that beautiful light from my higher power just shines and beams through us. And we can't help but feel that afterglow. And I'm convinced that that's what it's all about. Oh, me too. Because I know without a shadow of a doubt, when I like, well, I mean, when I worked other places, it's not just about the work, but it's just that now when I come home, I'm different than I was before. And it's almost like I'm on that pink cloud. Like when I first got sober, because that's what I did when I first got sober is I strive all the time. I sponsor. That's one thing she always said, you know, is instead of being wrapped up in myself, like pick up the phone and call somebody else that might be, you know, down in the dumps or service work at a meeting. But I got out of that a little bit and I didn't realize it. And now that I'm back in it, it's like, whoa, that's like, that's my natural high. What am I doing? You know? (laughs) And it is, it's like, you just feel like you got goosebumps all the time again and happiness. And I'm not worried about what am I doing, you know, all about myself because I can damn sure get like all wrapped up in that quickly. (laughs) So 
Absolutely. Absolutely. So you've written a couple of articles. This last one that made it to the Elephant Journal is Stop Drowning and Reach Out for Help. But you also wrote another one for Sober Nation, right? Yes. They published the one uh, that was my story, my actual just my journey kind of that I just talked about on here. And then Elephant Journal it was just kind of aggravating me about how, well, you know, this is crazy because in my transition between the job before and Bradford, I actually quit without having a job. So I'll say that I'll just be honest about that. I didn't know for sure that I was going to get the job at Bradford, mm-hmm. but I was just like, God hasn't dropped me on my ass. And I don't know why I got a little squirrely and did that. I think that that's something I needed to I mean, my sponsor's probably going to have to get on me about that. (laughs) (laughs) But I feel like it really helped me. Like, I started the weirdest thing. I don't even know if I have time to tell you this, but I was laying in bed, and I literally typed into Google, I want to tell my story or tell my story, something like that. And this Courtney Webster is this lady's name that popped up, and she had this awesome thing about you're rocketing into the fourth dimension in your recovery, and this isn't all, you know, you're recovered, but this isn't all. There's more out there. Well, that led me to call the lady, and then I emailed her, and she called me back, but I missed her phone call. So I've not actually talked to her on the phone, but she left me some places I could share my story. And I am not anonymous was one, and like there's several that she named, and I don't think she named Sobernation, but one was something got me there, you know. And so I sent that to Sobernation, and I was like, I don't want it to be. I want people to know that we're we can recover out there. We're not just a bunch of drug addicts and alcoholics and that we don't have these sad, depressing lives. Like we actually get sober and get happy and also stop drowning and reach out for help. It's just that I feel like no matter what somebody's going through, if it's bad enough at times, I know that they feel like they're alone because I know I did, but just reaching out to somebody, whether it's a stranger or somebody you haven't talked to in a thousand years or family or loved one, the help is the first part, you know, I mean, it's just like, well, recognizing that you've got a problem, but reaching out because you cannot do it alone and it's okay. It's it's not something that anybody's going to look down on you for. And I just think that like even Dr. Oz has this thing now, because I mean, I think they finally realized that not even physicians don't even know that much about addiction and they do, but addiction and alcoholism, it, they do, but it's almost like the ones that have gone through it, can get the word out or like the social media, like him can get the word out about it more. And like, it needs to have raise awareness and kind of the prevention first. But if the prevention, if it's past that point, then I feel like the recovery part needs to be told so that these people that are struggling with it, see that there's life out there that there can still be a party like, Rockers in recovery. <laughs> yes. You know, I mean, they've got those things. I told somebody about it today that came in. So there's life out there. Well, we're doing it right now. There's so much activism right now for recovery. And the stigma of being an addict is no longer what it used to be. And what you were just talking about, Anonymous No More, Sober Nation, my podcasts, your articles. There's people out there that are struggling, and the idea of being an addict is so overwhelming, and the thought of having to ask for help is so scary, and we have all been there. We have all been there in this situation where we were like, I can't ask for help. I can't admit this. I can't do this, and you're all by yourself with these thoughts, And in the meantime, you're using and you're using and you're using, and it's this horrible cycle that you continue and you repeat. And being able to Google and go online now and just go, I need help. How about that? How about I need help? I'd like to recover. Yeah, and there's tons of tools out there now, you know. There's tons. There's tons. It's all over the social media. And I think that right now, if you're looking for help, and I even shared this at a meeting one time because some guys were leaving the rehab center and they were on their way back to the States. You know, I'm in Costa Rica and there's a recovery center here and they fly out here to to this treatment center because it's a lot less expensive. And then, you know, after about 90 days, they start heading back and they're like, well, I'm worried. And, you know, I just, you know, I hope the meetings are good. And, you know, 
I'm kind of set up to go to meetings. And, you know, I remember just sharing and just going, look, guys, seriously, as soon as you get back over there, the first thing you're going to do is set up your Facebook account or if you've already got your Facebook account and get online. And, you know, it's so easy to get connected these days right from your home. You have no excuse not to find an online meeting or not to find recovery-related resources because there's just thousands of different options that you have out there. And it's a beautiful place to be. And I'm just grateful to be a part of it. I'll tell you that much. Yeah. And I love that you've done this because you then you have no excuse. It's like you can turn it on. It's like you're at a meeting because you feel like you're with the person anyways, the ones that I've listened to of yours are on your podcast. And so I was grateful for that because it's so, I mean, life is just so different now and it is so social media based. And if that's the only way we might be able to reach somebody else or that somebody may be able to reach us, like then that's all good and fine and dandy because as long as they're reached, I don't care. (laughs) Absolutely. Oh man. I love it. All right, Stephanie. So listen, let's start closing up. I'm going to ask you some questions for the newcomers. Are you ready? Yes. All right. So number one, what was keeping you from getting clean or staying clean when you first got introduced to recovery? Well, after I was introduced to recovery, I, I stayed sober, but clean and sober. But before that, I think what kept me from it was probably my pride. And then the anxiety that I thought I had, like that I just couldn't cope with things without something to cover it up and make me relaxed. Now I'm just a crazy, squirrely person. I don't care. Like, (laughs) and so if I get nervous, then I'm nervous, but I think I'm just too squirrely. I don't even notice I'm nervous half the time, but So, yeah, and alcohol was just my crutch. It was just like I fell back on it every time. And I didn't think it was a problem up until the end when I started blacking out because I thought it was normal and I drank like everybody else that partied. So I think that was it and just the fitting in thing. Absolutely. And number two, at what point did you have a spiritual awakening, that aha moment in recovery when you accepted that you were powerless over drugs and alcohol, but for the first time had developed the hope that you could recover? I would say really one of the times that I remember most is that in detox when I actually was in the treatment center that first night. And it's like, I really think these people around me are going to take care of me and they are going through the same thing I am. And it's kind of like, you're the cool kid again. Like, you know, it's like, that's the normal thing to do, (laughs) at least in that place. So, right. And I think with the aha moment, it was just kind of like when I sat in the rooms for the first time and I was in that meeting and I was like, oh, my gosh, these people are like me. And I think it was the very first day at the um, halfway house because the meetings inside the treatment center are just there. But this was one of the first outside meetings and everybody was laughing and having a good time. And I really I heard what they were saying and I related to it. And I knew I did. I knew I did in Bradford, but in the treatment center, but I especially did then. And it was like I just was like filled completely with hope. And then I was filled again with the aha moment and the hope when I did my third step, which was huge for me. And that, you know, like going into my fourth step, but doing that third step and actually letting God have like take control of my life and giving up my will, I guess, formally, I don't know. Well, (laughs) yeah, no, I get it. And not only that, it's funny because as you talk about that, I start thinking about, well, my initial aha moment, I remember I didn't recognize it as a spiritual awakening, but I remember how powerful it was. But I remember when I started working the steps, I was having light bulb moments like crazy, like third step, fourth step, you know, as I'm writing, as I'm talking to my sponsor and things were just like, oh my God, that makes sense now. Like, wow. So uh-huh. I was right there with you. I was like, yep, I get it, man. I All these amazing little light bulb moments. And they went on for years in early recovery. Yeah, it's almost like, man, you don't want it to stop. Let's go. I hope it don't stop, you know. <laughs> and I always heard about that pink cloud thing. And I'm thinking, I'm going to ride this sucker out for as long as I can. <laughs> but And people make fun of me, I'm sure, at times. Like I have friends who's thinking, oh, my gosh, you were still you were amazed by the silliest things. But... I mean, that hasn't gone away, and I don't think it will. It's like the child in me was reborn, and then also just a new set of eyes. Like, I don't know if you've ever read that book, but a new pair of glasses. New pair of glasses, Uh uh-huh. Chuck C., beautiful book. Yeah, Uh uh-huh. So it's just a great thing. Well, great, because I'm about to ask you the next question. 
do you have a favorite book you would recommend to a newcomer that you read in early recovery? That book, but also I kind of have a a list of them. Have you ever heard of Living Sober? Yes. So that one was a good one. And then, of course, the Daily Reflections in the big book. Mm-hmm. But then the 12 and 12 and then Drop the Rock. My sponsor made me read Drop the Rock after my fourth step. So like the fifth step to – so you've got – character defects to work on and then i was trying to think there was another one i like to keep well the daily reflections for the day read that to start my day or then there was one a hazelden book called um the language of letting go Ooh, i like that yeah and so i I thought i had more i do but i can't remember them Um, that's good that's a good list that's a lot you asked for one that's in 14 or so I love it. More, 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 more. One is too many. A thousand is never enough. I get it. Oh, but wait, one more. One okay. thing. It's not really a book. It's This is something I was giving at that halfway house I was at. It's called Time to Recover, and it was a daily planner and journal. And I'm telling you, like that made a, a world of a difference. So even if you don't just have this, you can, you know, as a newcomer, they can make, like write their meditation at the day, and then they can have a recovery checklist and kind of do like, Okay, I did my morning meditation. I called my sponsor. I did my step work and read my literature, you know, and then write some gratitude for the day and then recovery goals for the day. And then you got your daily schedule and your things to do list. Wow. Because we don't know how to live anymore. So we kind of get back on track. (laughs) What was the name of that again? Well, the journal they gave us was called Time to Recover. All right. and it was by – it's a publication of any length resources. Okay, so well, actually – I'm going to find it. Is, I am going to find it because it's Google has everything. And this will be listed on the show notes, folks. So I love it. This is a great newcomer resource because it will keep you busy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking about it going, wow, that takes some time. <laughs> <laughs> but we got lots of time when we first get sober. Oh, man, tons. All right. So, Stephanie, what is the best suggestion you have ever received? Probably, well, before recovery, it was get help and ask for help. But still, I like to ask for help because I am bad about just speaking up and asking when I might need something. But that, I think, really is, it's probably, I was going to say, at first, I was thinking of this question. I was going to say, do the next right thing or pray about it because my sponsor is always like, pray about it. Mm-hmm. But then it hit me that she also is always, because I was had my big book sitting here, and she was telling me about something that her sponsor told her about how many times in the big book the word continue is used. So it is, it's a course of vigorous action. We have to continue to do it. We have to continue the house cleaning, continue, continue, continue. And if you go through that book and circle the word continue every time you see it, there's no telling how many times it's in there. So it's a you know program of continuous action. Yeah, you can't just get sober and stop. I love it. That's the first time someone suggested that. I love it. That's kudos to my awesome sponsor. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. That's what I, you know, I always say whenever somebody tells me that's fantastic, I go, I'm just regurgitating to the best of my ability. Oh, yeah, I like that. (laughs) I got nothing original here. (laughs) That's true. I really don't either. (laughs) And if you could give our newcomers only one suggestion, what would it be? That you will laugh again. I have a lot of things I would say. but And just to give it a little time, I feel like that I could say that every day to the ones I see daily. You know, it's like, I know you feel like crap right now, but... Just a little bit more time, even tomorrow, but especially two months from now and even two years. You know, it's like everything takes time. And I know that we hate waiting, but it's worth it. Oh, my God. Stephanie, this has been phenomenal. (laughs) It was such a blast. I'm so glad. Thank you for having me. Oh, see, you were nervous. You did awesome. I was. I was was like, why am I so nervous? I don't even know. (laughs) It is your story. (laughs) Yeah. Now, Stephanie, do you have a a blog or something or a way for our listeners to get a hold of you or get in touch with you? I have a couple ways because I have a blog on WordPress and it's 
www.radiantperspective.com or .wordpress.com. Perfect. And does and that then, have your email on it? Uh, it should have my email. Okay. But my email is lovelife3696 at gmail. And then I have that other one. I, I use the other one too sometimes, but that one can, I can be reached. And then they have this new thing called the real edition. Yes. And it's, it's actually only for like addicts and alcoholics on there, which I'm on that page too, or on that website too. And it's a blog for, like I said, just that that's all, it's all recovery related articles. And but when you post an article, they have to approve it, and then it gets posted. So a lot of the articles that are on my WordPress, they're already up. And then there's two on there, on the real edition. You know, I interviewed Jason Smith. Oh, really? Yes. He's on there. He the, the Bitter Taste of Dying. Yeah, that's yes. really cool. <laughs> it's such a small world. It there. is tiny. I go, I know this. <laughs> Yeah. And I, I see, I found that the same time I found you, I think it was, because it was that one weekend when I was just like diligently searching for ways to open my big mouth out there on social media. So I found that along with you, and it's really cool. It's That's neat that, that you interviewed him, too. Well, he's on there, so you can find him on the podcast list. Jason Smith, The okay. Bitter Taste of Dying. He's got a great story. Yeah. Oh, and then <laughs> if Facebook, of course, and Instagram. And Twitter. You're all over it. I love it. Okay, all so I'm going gonna, gonna to put those uh, links and posts and everything that you've got on there on the show notes. So, folks, if you would like to get in touch with Stephanie, just go to the Share Podcast show notes and you will find her information to get a hold of her. So, we have now reached the end of our show. Thank you, Stephanie, so much for joining us. Thank you. Oh, I had a blast, even oh. with my pizza. <laughs> Yeah, my, my three pieces I stopped. Nobody noticed. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I really thank you so much. Oh, it was absolutely my pleasure. So, folks, we've reached the end of our show. Thanks for joining us. And as we say here in Costa Rica, Pura Vida. Pura Vida. Thank you for joining us on the Share Recovery Podcast. To check out the show notes page on this interview or to thank our guests for sharing their story, go to www.thesharepodcast.com. While you're on the website, don't forget to sign up for our free newsletter to stay up to date on the latest news, podcasts, and interviews. Want to be one of our guests and share your story? Then go to our website and click on the Share Your Story button. We share our inspiring recovery stories every Tuesday. So subscribe to our show on iTunes or Stitcher Radio to get your free weekly download. We'll see you then. The opinions shared on this show reflect those of the individual speaker and not of any 12-step fellowship as a whole. And though we discuss 12-step recovery and the impact it had in our lives, we do not promote or endorse any 12-step anonymous program.